Good morning. We're reading from Psalm 138, verses 1 through 3. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for many blessings that you've given us, and the fact that you are a great blessing to us, that you are our uh, Lord and Director and uh, the Majestic One, the One who has sent Christ the Messiah to die on our behalf, to pay for our sins because that we committed, knowing that he is the only one qualified to do that. And we appreciate us being able to be here today. We thank you. We pray for your blessings over this service, that you will get the glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Stand to your feet. You can. We'll open our service with the hymn Standing on the Promises. Sing with me. Standing on the promises of Christ, I keep through eternal ages, let this grave. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises. 
senses I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of Responsive reading this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 18 to 14 through 21. <clears throat> but Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. The sun will be turned to dark into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Good morning. Again, this is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. Amen. We are here. Amen. Amen. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I to be seated and uh, for the Jews, for the Hermans, and to come and to bless us as we bless the Lord and turn every phrase to our God. Thank you, John, and Thank you, Thank you, Thank you. 
Sherman for letting your saxophone talk. Appreciate that. And every praise is to be to our wonderful God for all of the different things that he has done for us. Before I lead us in prayer, I just want to read a note that was sent to one of our deacons from Cynthia Ace. Uh, she wants us to know that Robert, her husband, had a fall and is in the hospital. So he has, has a fractured vertebrae. So we need to keep Robert uh, in prayer along with others. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. And every praise should go to you and to you alone. When we think that you are our God, you're our Savior, you're our healer, you're our deliverer. We're so grateful and so thankful that we can come into your presence and cast all of our cares and all of our concerns upon you. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father, that you care about each and every one of us. You care about the details of our life. And we just rest in you. We lean on your everlasting arms because you indeed are our God. You're the one that we trust and rely upon and depend upon. Help us, Lord, not to look toward man or to anything, but help us to look to you and you alone. Father, we are a needy people. We fall short in so many different areas, but yet you have made us a part of your family. You have given us this wonderful privilege uh, gathering together to worship you in spirit and in truth. So fill our minds and our hearts with gratitude and thanksgiving and with praise. Help us to acknowledge who you are and to acknowledge what you have done. Help us to recognize that you indeed are great and awesome and mighty. And Father, what a blessed privilege it is to come to you in prayer. We bring before you different ones in our congregation who are sick, are shut in. We ask that you would have mercy upon them. We think especially of Robert Ace, just that you would be kind and merciful to him, and that you would bring healing uh, to his body, that you would give the doctors wisdom as far as his situation is concerned. And Lord, we pray for a speedy recovery for him. And Father, we think of others like Phyllis Allison, who's been wrestling with the results of her stroke and not able to walk independently and not able to get around like she wants to get around. Lord, be merciful to her. Encourage her heart. And we think about Ernest Roberts and others, Lord, who are just struggling and going through difficult times with regards to their physical health. Would you be gracious to them? Would you minister to them in a special way that even though their outward person might be decaying, may they be renewed in their inward person, cause them to draw close to you and cause them, Father, to be spiritually renewed. And Lord, you know there are different needs uh, among us. You, you know what we're going through. Uh, help us to live the trust-driven life. Help us to trust you wholeheartedly. Help us to trust you submissively, Lord. Help us to submit all our ways to you, knowing that you know what is best for us. 
And Father, help us to trust you exclusively. We're thankful today and our hearts are filled with praise. And we praise you because of your person and also because of your work. Thank you that you are a God who is still working in your people and working in this world. And we would ask that you might do mighty things that bring glory and honor to your name. The Lord bless the rest of our worship service. May we focus only on Jesus Christ. May we bow before him and praise him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning again. Uh, if you are visiting Fairview for the very first time, uh, we would love for you to stand at this time. Any first-time visitors? And once. Good. Got any others? Okay. I'm going to ask that you would give us your name. If you could give us your name and the city that you're from, uh, that would be great. Okay. So glad to have you with us. Uh, you received a visitor's pack, and if you could just fill out the orange information card and drop it in the offering tray, we would greatly appreciate that. This time, we're going to ask that the congregation would stand and greet one another. Let's do that.
nothing. There's no announcements today. So there it is. The choir will rehearse after church today. So for that one. All right. That's it. Uh, let's go ahead and transition uh, to dismissing our children to Children's Church. Let's go ahead and pray for them. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to minister to our youth. We ask that you would Help them to understand your word and use it. Uh, we pray that you will be glorified in uh, their understanding and how they apply your word, even just the delivery of the, uh, your word, the truth of it. And uh, we just thank you once again. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As we transition to the time of giving, uh, you can give electronically on your phone by looking us up online, and uh, you can press the three dots on the bottom right, and there's a giving option there. You can also give as the baskets come to the aisles. Uh, at this time, I ask that the ushers come forward. any uh, anything written on those long cards gold cards you can put them in a basket as well well we thank you for this opportunity to give a portion of what we have back towards our efforts to glorify you we pray that we'll be good stewards uh, over our, these finances and you know, our, our resources help us to give believing that you are doing something with our church and that you are intentional who you call out of darkness and into light. And we thank you that we get to be used by you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
just a wonderful song, a true song. I hope we all realize that in our Christian life, it's not going to be 
easy. It's not going to be a breeze. Storms of life are going to come. The ups and downs will come. Sometimes it will be physically. Sometimes it's relationally. But the storms come. And it's good to know that in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his word, there's an anchor for our soul. And I trust that for each and every one, that our soul is anchored in the Lord. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. And as you stand, please take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I want to read verses 12 through 17, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, writing to his spiritual son, says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. And yet for this reason I found mercy in order that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Christ for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, the eternal King, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honored in glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we don't have to drift away you don't have to wander away, that we can be anchored, we can be rooted in you. Thank you that our hope is not in things or in other individuals, but our hope is anchored in the Lord. Thank you for that wonderful blessing. And Father, we come to you now and ask that you would speak to us through your word. Thank you for these verses that Paul has written to Timothy long ago. But they are fresh, they are alive, they are relevant for us today. So open our eyes that we might behold the wonderful things that are in your word. Grant us grace to be doers and not just hearers. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And you can be seated. I want to label the message a doxological testimony of gratitude. 
a doxological testimony of gratitude. And that's a mouthful, so I need to explain that title. But when we come to our text, we have the personal testimony of Paul's salvation. When you read through these verses, Paul is autobiographical. He's talking about himself. He uses words like I and me. And particularly, he's centering in on how God has saved him and how that has radically changed his life. Paul's testimony is a testimony of gratitude. He's thankful. He's grateful. He's elated at what God has done for him. He uses terms like mercy and grace and faith and love to express the history of God in his life. He just doesn't talk about himself, but he wants Timothy to know, he wants us to know that his story, that is God's story, is captured in these verses. Paul's testimony is also doxological. It's a doxology. Normally at the end of our service, we'll sing a doxology. Well, as Paul comes to the end of his testimony, it's a doxology. He's not patting himself on the back. He's not talking about how he got over. Instead, he gives glory and honor to God. You and I really do need to consider Paul's personal testimony of salvation. We need to really take it to heart. Because one of the things that Paul's testimony demonstrates and shows is how great a salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but, but it could be, very well be, that you have lost sight of how wonderful and how marvelous and how magnificent it is that God has saved you. It could be that when you hear the words, I'm saved, or when we sing about that, it's ho-hum. And that's why you really need to consider Paul's personal testimony. Because he gets to the significance, the importance, the magnitude of the fact that God has rescued us from our sins. And, and anyone who's a genuine Christian and a real Christian, when they read Paul's words, it resonates with them. Even though their, their story is different than Paul in the sense that they might not be a persecutor and those other things, but they know that God has shown mercy to him or to her like God did to Paul. So it resonates with them. And they too want to have a testimony that is doxological, that is to the glory of God. They too want to have a testimony that is personal. They too want to have a testimony of gratitude. And so I want us to take time to look at this wonderful testimony that is provided in 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17. And I want you to see that there are three elements that make up 
a doxological testimony of gratitude. And the first element that we see in verses 12 through 14 is that a doxological, personal testimony of gratitude, it flows from a grateful heart. It comes from a heart of thanksgiving. When Paul begins verse 12, he abruptly kind of changes the subject. And he says, I'm grateful. I'm thankful. My heart is filled with gratitude. He begins that verse by saying, I thank He's expressing the, the joy that is filling his heart, the, the, the flood of emotions that have gripped him. He has just said in the previous verse, he has mentioned the gospel. And he says that this gospel, according to verse 11, is what demonstrates the, the, the glory of God. It shows us that God is heavy and weighty and he's majestic. But Paul also says, with regards to this gospel, I have been entrusted with this gospel. Paul says, God has given me this gospel. It is my trust. I've been entrusted with it. And when Paul hears those words, gospel, he can't help but sing, grateful, grateful, grateful. That's how he begins. He's grateful. This gospel that I have been entrusted with, I'm, got, I'm grateful for it. Why? Because it has changed my life. It has changed me upside down. My life is radically different. To whom does Paul render thanks? The text tells us that it's to Christ Jesus. Normally, Paul in his letter gives thanks to God. But here is to Christ Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus. And this is probably an indirect way of Paul saying that Christ Jesus is God. Because reality is the only one worthy of thanksgiving, true thanksgiving. The ultimate one who's worthy of that is God. But here Paul doesn't say, I thank God, but I thank Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say this, Christ Jesus is my Lord. He's more than my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my Master. And he reminds Timothy, Timothy, he's your Lord also. He's the Master of our lives. He's the Captain of our lives. He directs what we say and do. And then he has one more description of Christ Jesus. He says, Christ Jesus is the one who has strengthened me. Now, this could refer to a past event in Paul's life when he got saved, but I think it's really a summary of Paul's relationship with Christ. I think he is saying, when it comes to my relationship with Christ, Christ has strengthened me. Christ has enabled me. Christ has empowered me. As Paul looks at his responsibility, his duties, and as he carries them out, he doesn't carry them out in his own strength. But, but he declares that when it comes to being a Christian in service, you need to be strengthened. 
not by your own strength, not by someone else's strength, but by the strength of Christ. Remember Philippians 4.13? One of those verses that people love to take out of context. Some famous basketball players love that verse, even though they lost their game yesterday. But I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's Paul's testimony. Paul wasn't talking about achieving your athletic goals. Paul was talking about when it comes to serving the Lord, I can do whatever Christ calls me to do. And no matter what the circumstance or the situation, I can do all things through Christ. But he says Christ is the one who empowers me. Christ is the one who strengthens me. Christ is the one who enables me to do those things. Paul, why are you thankful? What's the reason for your gratitude? It's because Christ. Consider Paul faithful, putting him into service. When God saved Paul, when Christ encountered Paul on the Damascus Road. Christ evaluated Paul, so to speak. And there wasn't really anything in Paul himself that Christ came to this conclusion by, but Christ considered Paul to be reliable, to be dependable, to be trustworthy. When God saved Paul, God put into service one that he felt could be trusted with the responsibilities given to him. And so Paul says, I was considered worthy. Didn't earn it. This is an evaluation of God. And what God did was put me into service. Now, this word service could be a general word referring to deacons. But Paul is not saying, no, God made me a deacon. No, Paul is saying God put me into service. He gave me apostolic responsibility that he wanted me to do. And when Paul thinks about this, he is just overwhelmed by the fact that God would select him that God would choose him and put him in the role that he has given him. You see, Paul considered being put into service a blessing. He considered being put into service a privilege. He didn't look at service and work as something to avoid. He felt that this was one of the highest privileges in the Christian life, that I can serve God. Paul writes this statement, he makes this statement, knowing full well that he has experienced imprisonment because of his relationship with Christ. Even though I've been put into prison, I'm thankful, I'm grateful, because Christ has put me into service. Even though, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, on five different occasions I've been beaten with 39 whippings, so to speak, strikes. Blows to my back. 
But regardless of that, Paul, Paul says, I'm thankful that even though I've gone through all of this, I'm thankful that Christ has put me into service. Paul talks about the care of all of the churches on his shoulders. Not just the care of a family member, not just the care of someone you consider dear, but the care of every member of the local church that Paul ministered to. He said the care of them is on my shoulders. I carry that load. But I'm thankful. I'm grateful. I have a heart of ad, a, a gratitude because Christ put me into service. He put me into service. We frown many times upon serving the Lord. Some of us can't identify anything that we're doing for the Lord. But Paul rejoiced. He gave thanks. He was filled with gratitude that Christ put him into service. And you know, when, you, when you're put into service, when God calls you to serve Him, and He does that for every Christian, we ought to be faithful. We ought to be reliable. We ought to be dependable in all of our life. But Paul was thankful because Christ put him into service. And God put him into service even though, and don't miss this, even though Paul was a blasphemer, Paul was a persecutor, and Paul was a violent aggressor. That's not my evaluation of Paul. That's Paul's evaluation of his past life before he got saved. And so when you read verse 13, Paul talks about his horrendous past life. See, we kind of look at Paul and say, well, he's religious, so he must have been good. Paul, said, he looks at his life, his religious life, and says, I was horrible. I was a sinner. We read last Sunday about all of those different people, the categories of sin, being rebellious, being ungodly, being sinners, being immoral, homosexuals, etc., etc. Paul says, I'm in that list. You, you didn't read it, but I'm in that list. I was in that list because I, I did things that are contrary to sound doctrine. I was a blasphemer. I would use my words to speak against God and say lies about him. I was a persecutor. And you read Paul's story throughout Scripture, the letters that he's written. He can never ever rid himself of the fact that he persecuted the church. When he encountered Christ on the Damascus Road, when he got saved, what do, we, what do we learn? What do we read about? We have the Lord speaking to Paul. As Paul, known as Saul at that time, as he's on that road to Damascus, as he is persecuting Christians, the, the Lord intervenes in his life. The Lord interjects in his life and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's what the Lord said. Saul, you don't realize that when you are persecuting the disciples of the Lord, that you are persecuting the Lord of the disciples. And Paul 
even though he's saved, even though his sins have been washed away, he never ever forgot that he was a persecutor of the church. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, he mentions the fact that he was the least of all the apostles. Why? He persecuted the church. And in persecuting the church, he persecuted Christ. Paul was a persecutor. Not only a persecutor, he was a violent aggressor. That, that speaks about how he went about his persecution. He, he went about it aggressively, arrogantly. I, I like one translation, a modern translation, said Paul was a bully. He was a bully on the road to Damascus with regards to those Christians who were following the Lord. He was a violent aggressor. He was arrogant. He was proud. He was aggressive. That's Paul's past life. That's what he said. I was formerly those things. But then Paul makes a Ripley's, believe it or not, statement. You've read those statements, believe it or not. Paul, Paul gives us a believe it or not statement. He says, and yet, and, and, and yet, I was shown mercy. I can't believe that. A, a, a violent aggressor? A, a persecutor? A blasphemer? That person deserves hell. That person deserves to be punished. That person deserves to go to the electric chair or the gas chamber. But Paul doesn't about face. He says, even though I was those things, I found mercy. I found mercy. And if you can't resonate with that, you can't relate to that, you're still dead in your sins. Because only the person who is outside of Christ knows nothing about what Paul is talking about. Because the reality is, all of us have a past. All of us can be put in that category of verses 9 and 10. All of us have done things against sound doctrine. But God intervened in the Christian's life. We found mercy. We found compassion. We found pity in our miserable and wretched condition. What, a, what an amazing testimony of Paul. Not, not I saw the light, not I pulled myself. I, I found mercy. God was merciful to me. The blasphemer, the persecutor, the violent aggressor, totally undeserved, totally unearned. And Paul adds this comment, and you might take it the wrong way, but please don't. He said, I acted ignorantly in unbelief. He's not excusing his sin. He's not saying, well, in reality, I'm not responsible like we always like to do. We sin and want to say, I'm, I'm not responsible. It's my mother, it's my father, it's my brother, my sister, it's my circumstance. It's you, God. You made me like this. Paul is not saying that at all. 
Paul is just letting us know that as he went about his activities as a persecutor, as a violent aggressor, as a blasphemer, he, he was in a state of ignorance. He did not know the true and living God. And not only that, he was in a state of unbelief. And my friends, this is just a reminder of what happens when you are ignorant of God and when you don't have your faith and your trust in him. And this really explains all of us before we got saved. We were in our ignorance. We were ignorant of God. We were also acting in unbelief. Now, some people can cross the line. Some people can get knowledge of God and still commit knowing sins. And that's a whole different situation. What an amazing testimony. I found mercy. I found mercy. No patting on the back. No, no prompting or propping up himself. I found mercy. And that's not the end of the story. He goes on in verse, verse 15, to, no, verse 14 to say, not only did I find mercy, guess what else I found? I found grace. <laughs> and I found faith. And, and I found love. <laughs> when you come to Christ, when he saves you, oh, oh, the blessings just overflow. But, but the thing that Paul is saying, he's saying, look, when you look at my situation, this is what I used to be. But I was shown mercy. And not only was I shown mercy, I was shown grace. And look how, how he puts it in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. God's grace overflowed. It, it didn't just go up to a certain level and stop there and pause. Like, no, it went to that level and just overflowed in the Paul's life. It flooded his life, his great, great life was graced and flooded with God's unmerited favor, with God's undeserved favor. Paul, wretched man that he was, these categories that he describes and uses of himself, they're not worthy of mercy. Not worthy of grace. But Paul found mercy. And he's found a super abundance of grace. More grace than what he actually needed. He, he needed grace. But Paul says, the grace of our Lord was more than what I need. We sing that song, don't we? About the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Once in a while we'll sing it, grace greater than our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. All our sin. 
God's grace is greater than that. And I love, if I can imagine it, Paul singing that last stanza, the fourth verse. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. See, that's how he looks at God's grace. It's super abundant. It's marvelous. It's matchless. It's amazing grace. And yet God poured out grace upon Paul when he saved him. And Paul says it wasn't just mercy. It wasn't just grace. There's grace and there's mercy, but there's faith and love in this also in Christ. So the first element of a doxological testimony of gratitude is that it flows from a heart that is grateful and thankful. Let me point out to you the second element. The second element is seen in verses 15 and 16. And that second element of a doxological testimony of gratitude is that it magnifies the mission of Christ. You see, your testimony is not really valid and real if you leave the gospel out. If you are standing up talking about, quote, your salvation, and there's no gospel, there's no good news, that testimony is warped. That testimony is not helpful. When Paul gives his testimony, he magnifies the, the mission of Christ. Paul introduces the mission of Christ with this statement, it is a faithful saying. It is a faithful saying. Five times in First and Second Timothy and Titus. Only used by Paul. And when he uses it, he's saying that a saying or a maxim or our statement is faithful. It's reliable. It's dependable. You can bank on it. You can take this to the bank. Paul says, it's a faithful statement. And he says, not only is it faithful, but I want to make sure, Timothy, that you grab hold of it. And Timmy, that Timothy, the, the people at the church in Ephesus, that they grab hold of it. It's a faithful statement deserving full acceptance. There ought not to be any Christian who does not accept and welcome and embrace this faithful statement. That's what Paul is saying. And, and the question is, what is that statement? What is that faithful saying? that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? Can I get an amen on that at least? He came into the world to save sinners. That's reliable. That's dependable. You can bank on that. That the mission of Christ was to enter into this world. That the God-man went to the cross, so to speak. That the eternal Son of God left heaven's glory was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, was born on Christmas Day, lived a perfect life, and went to the cross and was killed. Christ Jesus, he came into the world to save sinners. 
that's the mission of Christ. He entered into time and history. He entered into this wicked world. For what purpose? For what? To save, to rescue, to, to deliver sinners. And not just to save sinners, Paul says, to save me, the chief of sinners. Paul said, he didn't just come into the world to save sinners, but Paul said, he came to save me, the foremost of sinners. Paul says, when you rank me and you rank my sins, so to speak, and compare with everybody else, I'm number one. I'm the foremost. I'm the chief of sinners. Now, God doesn't go through a list ranking where you are on the sinners list. You might say to yourself, you might be in the top 100. I don't know. But that's not how he's operating. But Paul said, when, when I compare myself, anybody in the past, the present, or even anybody in the future, I'm number one. And this is the kind of number one you don't want to be. But he said, I'm number one. I'm foremost. I'm the top sinner. And I know... Some of us self-righteous people have a hard time to accept that because we think Paul was good, that he was okay. But we're not interested in your opinion. Paul is giving his testimony. And God is moving him to write these words. And he's saying, among all the sinners, I am foremost. I am Number one, and that's not false humility. That's not exaggeration. Paul is telling the truth. But you know what the good news is? That even though he's the foremost of sinners, he's not excluded from the saving mission of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That even though he's at the top of the list, God doesn't start saving people when they're in the bottom 100, or the middle 100, God saves all who are willing to repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ. And so Paul goes on to say another one of these statements. I found mercy. I, I found compassion. I found pity. I, I'm number one sinner. I'm the foremost of all sinners. But, but I found mercy. That is, God was merciful and compassionate to me in my miserable condition as the number one ranking sinner. He was merciful. I found mercy. And what was the purpose of God showing mercy to Paul? Paul says it was in order that Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. Paul says, I was shown mercy so that it would reveal and demonstrate and clearly exhibit the character of Christ. That Christ is patient. That Christ is long-suffering. And, and anybody who's been saved realize that Christ has been patient toward us. You, you look at your pre-salvation life. And I won't talk about mine, but I know what it was. And I know he showed me 
patience. There were things that I did that were deserving of spending eternity in the lake of fire. There were places that I went. There were ways that I treated people. But Christ demonstrated his patience. His complete and thorough and perfect patience. Paul says, toward me. Why? Why, why did Christ do this for Paul? We learned that he did it as an example. Don't miss this. As an example for those who would believe in Christ for eternal life. Paul says, God shown me mercy. God's grace abounding to me. God did that as an example. He wanted to use me as an example. For, for those who would repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ alone for eternal life. You, you know what he's saying? He, he's saying that his salvation is an example. His salvation is a prototype. His salvation says to others who want to believe that if God can save Paul, he can save you too. That's good news. If he can save the number one sinner, he can save the number two and the number three and the number 1,000 sinner. He, he can do it. And he did it in Paul's life. He can do it in the lives of others. And, and what we ought to be thankful for and what we ought to be thinking about is that God wants our salvation to be an example. to others, to those in our family, to our friends, to those that we encounter. So that when they look at our salvation, when they look at where we came from and what we used to do, some of those buddies and friends you used to run with, they ought to be able to look at your life and say, if God can save so-and-so, he can save me. But we try to act like we've always been righteous. We might have been in church our whole life, but we weren't always righteous. You know, there was a lot of stuff we did behind the scenes. Might have looked okay on Sunday, but not on Monday through Saturday. And some of us couldn't even get it together on Sunday. But God wants to use your salvation as an example to your family members. They, they know what you like. They know your meanness. They know this and that about you. And God said, I want to use your salvation. I want to demonstrate my perfect and complete patience that, that if you can be saved, so can they. Your family. It's not going to be because you know the Romans road all the time. It's not going to be because you're giving out gospel tracts. They, they need to see that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and save you and your life has been radically changed. Christian, may I exhort you 
to live out your salvation. That your salvation becomes an example for others so that they too can be saved. And let me conclude by giving the final element of this doxological testimony of Christ. It's in verse 17. A doxological testimony of gratitude ends and climaxes with giving praise. We sung about giving praise to our God. When God saves you, the end of the story is not you. When you come to verse 17, it's no longer autobiographica. It's no longer even about history. It's all about praise and glory to God. That's where your testimony ought to end. People should not hear your testimony and walk away and say, oh, he's a good person. Oh, he's done this and done that. Look what he's doing. They should marvel that your story ends in God getting the praise. And so Paul praises God. And the object of his praise is the king. The king. We don't often think about God along royal lines. But he's the king. And Paul says he's the king eternal. But the better idea, he's the king of the ages. Later on in chapter 6, he's going to say that God is the king of kings. He is the ultimate king. But here Paul just zeroes in and says that he is the king of the ages. And he goes on to say that this king of the ages is the immortal, invisible, only God. He's trying to lift our eyes up to see God for who he is. God is immortal. Those fools that say God is dead. God can't die. He's immortal. God doesn't perish like canned goods. He's imperishable. Paul says to the one, to the God who is immortal, the God who is invisible, the one that you can't see because he dwells in unapproachable light. He's invisible. And he's the only God. No no rivals at all. Only God. No one like him. To him, the, the king of the ages, the one who's immortal, invisible, the only God. To him be honor and glory. That's the substance of his praise. That's the content of glory and honor, respect to this great God. Not only for a moment, not just when Paul was writing, not just when Timothy was reading it, but forever and ever and forever and ever and ever. And Paul said, I ain't going to wait for you, Timothy. I'm not looking for you, amen. I'll say it. Amen is how he ends his doxology. And so a doxological testimony of gratitude flows from a thankful heart. It magnifies the mission of Christ 
in a climax with Well, it's Satan and his demons doing that. Get behind me, time clock. I'm just about ready to climax, and there it is. Okay, so the climax is with giving God praise. I hope that when you think of Paul's salvation, that it's a reminder to you, and a reminder to me, of how great a salvation we have in Jesus Christ. A, a salvation that demonstrates Christ's perfect patience. A salvation that has God showing us mercy and, and grace more than what we need and faith and love. A, a salvation that puts us into service despite what we once were. God's salvation does that for us. And so I would encourage you to marvel in Paul's salvation, but also marvel in your salvation. It is a reflection of the marvelous grace of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this testimony. May it not just be something that we read or hear about once, but may we go back and reflect on the testimony of Paul, that it was his personal testimony of salvation, that it was a testimony of gratitude and so thankful for what you had done in his life. And it was a doxological testimony. It resulted in him extending praise and glory and honor to you, the king of the ages the immortal, invisible, only God. Father, you have blessed us beyond measure. When you saved us, you did a tremendous work. Help us to marvel in what you have done for us. And may we have this kind of testimony. May our testimony that we share with others, may it flow from a grateful heart. And may it magnify the fact that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And may it climax, not in us getting glory, but with glory and honor going to you for what you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all make sure you turn off your phones. Please stand for our benediction. The Lord has been good to us to give us all grace to be here. It is important for us to recognize that salvation is a gift from God and 
we all needed uh, to avoid the punishment and, uh, that we all deserve because of our sin and our sin nature. And Jesus Christ, being fully God and man, died for our sins and resurrected, satisfying the wrath of God that we deserve and earned because uh, the wages of sin is death. And so if there is anyone here yet to put their faith in Jesus, this is the perfect time to do that. We trust in him who has died for our sins and has defeated death, the consequences of our sin. So that those of us who do put our faith in Jesus, turning from them the very sins that he died for and turning to him, we get to have him as our Lord and Savior and to experience the blessings that come with that. But that's anyone here who has yet to put their faith in Jesus, we will welcome you to the front up here and we'll have someone after service to talk to you. If there even is anyone with prayer requests or wants to come and become a member, you can come to the front as well. We'll have someone to speak with you as well. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Amen. Thank you.